Hey, nerds, we understand you. Drop those controllers, lose the wizard hat, and ready your Cheetos. It's time for some hard-hitting talk about the movies, books, and games you love. So get ready, oh searcher of useless knowledge. It's time to step into the Geek Cave. Broadcasting from a top secret and totally awesome hidden base, I'm Ken Harris, and here's Darren Wright, Justin White, and Chad Savage. Welcome to another edition of The Strike Is Over, Back to Work, DK Podcast Movies. I'm Darren. I'm Justin. And I'm Chad, reminding you that once you have your PhD, every appointment's a doctor's appointment. <laughs> nice. We're brought to you by Shirtosaurus, digging up clothing from the past so you can look rad today with great t-shirt, sweater, and hoodie designs on everything geek chic. Whether you're a fan of old school gaming, anime, 80s cartoons, or you're just weird, find something for you at Shirtosaurus.com. Also brought to you by Gamefly, with membership options for every budget. Plus, gifts for gamers of all ages. Gamefly has thousands of titles you can keep as long as you want. When you're done, just send it back. They even give you a postage-paid envelope for a new one. Or keep it forever, pay a lot less than in-store prices. Sign up for a free 30-day trial right now using the link at geekcavepodcast.com. Whew, man, that was a lot of talking right then. Justin, do your bit. (laughs) Please welcome Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Pilot Party! Welcome to Pilot Party, where I review an entire TV series based only on the first episode. And why only the first episode? Because the Hallmark Channel is showing It's a Wonderful Life all day, every day, from now until December 26th. And if I don't get at least 288 hours of Frank Capra's 1946 classic into my system, it's just not the holidays. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's oddly specific. Fun, fun fact, that was not a holiday uh, yeah. movie until the basically the copyright on it ran out yeah. and uh-huh. became a free thing to just do. Then it became a hit because yeah. it was on all the time. Yep. Ah, so this month, I thought I would treat myself a little bit, and I'm looking at Dragon Ball Z Kai. Now, I know what you're thinking. Justin, haven't you seen Dragon Ball Z? Well, yes, but not Kai. I love the Kai version. Let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Dragon Ball Z ran from April 1989 to January 1996 with 291 episodes. 13 years later, they released a trimmed-down version called Dragon Ball Z Kai. This ran from April of 2009 to March 2011 with 167 episodes. So I wanted to see what the difference was. The series begins with a flashback of the destruction of planet Vegeta at the hands of Frieza and a young Kakarot being sent to Earth. The young child is found by the kindly Gohan and is raised and raised the boy as his own, naming him Goku. We then spend the next few minutes summing up the original series, Dragon Ball. Five years have passed since Goku's victory over Piccolo and the 23rd World Martial Arts Tournament. And he has since married Chi-Chi. His, his childhood love, and is now has a son named Gohan, named after his grandpa. 
Goku and Gohan are headed towards a reunion at uh, Goku's friends with Goku's friends at Master Roshi's island. Elsewhere, an odd-looking spacecraft crash lands on Earth, and a man in battle armor emerges from the vessel and flies off to scout out the most powerful life form on the planet. Piccolo, one of Goku's old enemies turned friends, turned whatever, uh, is nearly killed by the stranger. But this is averted when the man leaves to scout out a more powerful life form. The other strong life form is, of course, Goku, who is at Kame House presenting his son to Roshi, Krillin, and Bulma. The stranger arrives and surprises everyone when they notice he has a monkey tail just like Goku used to have. End of episode one. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so the ratio to Dragon Ball Z to Dragon Ball Z Kai is roughly two to one. One episode of Kai equals two episodes of the original. Hence the shorter number of episodes. It's the same show without a bunch of filler. They use the same animation, same voice actors from the original, just edited differently. Hmm. Now for my predictions. <laughs> the show follows the same plot as the original. First they battle the Saiyans, then Frieza, then the androids and Cell, then the Cell games, then the World Tournament, then they fight Majin Buu. No change to the story. Good guys win. Woo! Uh, what's different is in the Blu-ray bonuses. For Kai's 14th anniversary and the original's 34th anniversary, Toei Animation teamed up with Peter Jackson. Using his AI technology previously used on recent Beatles projects, Jackson has taken the unused 45 hours <laughs> of footage from the original show separated the individual voices and the music, made everything crystal clear, and put into and put it into a six hour cut of <laughs> in beautiful Dolby Atmos. <laughs> it's breathtaking. I give it ten crazy old beach dudes wearing a giant turtle shell out of ten. I watched Kai all the way through the uh the cell games. Um it was really, really good. That's all I. That's all I have to contribute to that. Well, thank you, Justin. You're welcome. Speaking of shows, there are a lot of shows live out there in the memories of TV land. Some of them given new life, some relegated to the dustbins of history. This segment of the show asked you about one such forgotten piece of television history and asked, "Should we review it?" It was good then. The original is just as good now. Reboot it. The idea is sound, but we can modernize it and capture some magic. Revive it. What are these characters doing after a couple of decades of growth and development? Or refuse it. Le blah. <laughs> Blazing on to ABC in 1992. Okay. This animal hero team stampeded into Saturday mornings. Oh, no. After an irradiated comet struck some late 19th century western plains, creating a gigantic mesa shrouded in clouds. On top of this mesa, everything trapped on top became calmatized, evolving into bovipomorphic state. The cows became more human-like. That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah. This bovine-centric community developed in such a way as to emulate the Wild West. Unfortunately... They had an incomplete understanding of the Old West, so they get to incorporate some steampunk and some weird West tales as well. This is the Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa. Yes. Featuring featuring the heroics of Marshall Moo Montana, 
Dakota Dude and the Colorado Kid, and the villainous rogues, such as Mayor Oscar Baloney, Sheriff Terror Bull, Five Card Cud, Rooster Cogs Bull, and Mules Vern. Also other cow puns. <laughs> Wild West Cowboys at Moo Mesa ran for two seasons, 13 episodes each. Its first season animated by Gunther Wall Productions and the second by Ruby Spears Enterprises. Didn't they do some Superman stuff? They did a they Superman did. series. There yeah. was a week three on that. There I think. was, yeah. yeah. I don't have much else to say, although I will I will proudly admit that I have a Dakota dude action figure that was you know it is in the library of mm-hmm. my house. Yep. Sitting there watching over Darren while he sleeps. That's true. That and my clown light. The clown light is just something else, man. I've had that since I was like three. I I believe you. Yeah. It's very (laughs) 80s-tastic. You should post a picture on the Discord. I will let you guys take a picture because I don't have Discord on my phone. Okay. So, Darren. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to be there tonight, so. <laughs> Just my my view of tonight, <laughs> Dakota dude and a clown. <laughs> a- <laughs> Ashley Williams chainsaw arm up there, yeah. Wicked Witch of the West. I mean, I mean, come on. It is the kitschiest of our rooms. It's so relaxing. It's a cool room. I'm it not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first, I'm comforted by all the books. Well, yeah. And then I'm a little startled by the clown first thing in the morning. <laughs> so it balances it out. Don't worry. It'll still be dark when you get up yeah. because the rooster outside your oh window yeah. is going to start up at like four in the morning. So I don't have anything else to say about the show other than it deserved all 26 of its episodes. But should it get some more? Review it, reboot it, revive it, or refuse it? I remember the show. Of all of the Saturday morning programs that came out in the early 90s, this was one of them. <laughs> it was one of them. And that's probably all I can say about it in that, like, it just maybe, I mean, 91, I was like nine, mm-hmm. you know, but it just, it didn't do it for me. I, I took one look at it and I'm like, this is Ninja Turtles with extra steps. And I just, it, yeah. So it was developed by one of the writers. Yeah, that's what I heard of, of Ninja Turtles. Uh, also, um, the, the, this is this is one of those shows where even the toys were based on the same style. Yeah, you could of tell Ninja Turtles. You could tell. I mean, it was it was ABC ran on ABC yeah. Saturday morning, and ABC was like hit and miss mm-hmm. Saturday mornings because you had like. The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which is great, you mm-hmm. know, and you had Gummy Bears and you had Moo Mesa. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, Moo Mesa, it, it, it's not a show that like I have any negative feelings about. I'm just kind of eh, okay on it. So it is- I, I would say leave it as is. I mean, don't get rid of it, but you can rewatch it. I might, I might rewatch it out of curiosity, but I don't really no. need any more Moo Mesa. You, you will have to do it on YouTube because it was never released to DVD. That makes sense. It's on like seven or eight VHS. Also, I will say that it had a better theme song than it deserved to have. I would agree with that. That is true for a lot of shows from the 80s. Usually the intro was the best part, yeah. yeah. So 
in 91, I was 10. Mm-hmm. And being older and more sophisticated than Darren in 91, <laughs> I can appreciate it a little bit more. Okay. Um, it's like that. It's like, oh, yeah, I'd like that. No. Um, absolutely rewatch it. Review okay. it. Because it, it deserves to be out there in the universe. I don't necessarily think you could recapture lightning in a bottle for a oh. re- for a, a reboot mm-hmm. and a revival. I don't know the demands there. Yeah, the demand is not there, unfortunately. Um, but absolutely review it. Is a the neighbor girl Patricia and I we we just we love this show. I watch this all the time. This is funny. I thought it was funny. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. I, I remember watching it Saturday mornings and not hating it. And just like, this is this is cool. Yeah. It's exactly the right show for it to be on for a half hour once a week. Yeah, it doesn't yes. overstay its welcome. <laughs> yes. You do that for half a year. And it's like, you know what? This has been a fun six months. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're good. Thank you. All right. So we've got some trailers that we watched. Uh, watched Mean Girls. They're doing a new Mean Girls. Oh. With oh. T- Tina Fey's doing the script and she's in it and so okay. forth. You know, sometimes, though, it's just nice to watch a movie trailer and know that I probably won't have to watch the movie. <laughs> it might be great, but the trailer didn't convince me. Garfield movie. All right. I'm going to reserve any comments about Chris Pratt being the voice of Garfield. I'm not going to mention that, because, other than to just mention just that he's right the there. voice of Garfield. Mention that we're not going to mention it. Well, yes. yeah. other than to mention that he's the voice of it. I will say, I'm against this movie. I'm against it solely on principle. Because it, it does not look like the terrible, cheap animation of the 1980s. True. It evokes no feelings of Garfield's and friends. It does not. And so just out. I didn't like the Bill Murray ones. You know, he didn't like him either. He didn't like him either. <laughs> I'm not going to like this one. Just on principle. It might be hilarious. It might be funny as crap. It might get all the characters right. But you know what? It doesn't look like it was scrawled on the back of a series of greasy diner napkins <laughs> and then photographed with a Polaroid <laughs> Insta camera. So, no. What? Hear me out. Yeah. What if everything you see in the trailer is a setup and when you get into the movie theater, it is Garfield and Friends? You know... Voiced I, by Chris Pratt. No, no, that that's yeah, fine. I'm just like, saying. Like I said, we're we're reserving judgment on that. Yeah. You know, I can't help but think that it would be the greatest bait and switch <laughs> since executive decision, the Steven Seagal Kurt Russell uh, action movie. I kind of want Jack Black to do the Garfield and Friends theme now. Yeah. We're ready. Yeah. Potter. All right. I watched the trailer for Madam Web. I did too. 
I'm more interested in this than most of what Marvel's doing right now. So that's something. But the thing is, I don't want to watch this in the theater. I, right, like, I want to watch this in the comfort of my own living room with popcorn that I made. So I guess it's home theater good. Like, it looks home theater good. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to... I don't want to have to go and be around other people. It looks interesting. Yeah, and it's a Sony. It's not an MCU thing. It's and and I got to make that distinction. Yeah, although like it's one of those gray areas where the Sony Spider Verse is technically connected to the it's MCU. Technically connected, but it is not an official MCU. It's not part thing. of Phase it's, Five. It's not part of Phase Five. It is its own thing, yeah. like Morbius was and all that other stuff. So I liked when he morbed all over the place. Oh yeah, I miss the days of Morbius. It's Morbin <laughs> time. You remember when you remember when I he remember when he morbed? Yeah. Uh, Arthur the King. Ah. Uh, a feel good based on a true story fiction about an adventure racing team and an adopted dog. <laughs> Bets now, will the dog die or will they forego winning to get the dog to a vet in this movie that's just simply incredible? I mean, they go on such a journey. I'm I'm sure that they'll be homeward bound when it's over. Uh imaginary. I'm not gonna see this. Child danger and freaky poltergeist type alternate universes. I'm a pass. It's It's got an imaginary friend, mm-hmm. but the imaginary friend is an actual teddy bear that then, it, like, houses monsters. No. 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 Teddy bears fight dragons in your dreams. That's their job. Yep. Uh, anyone but you. Lord, I wish they'd stop making these. A romantic comedy about people that don't like one another but they're somehow going to have to convince everyone that they do like one another so the other folks who shouldn't give one bit of shit about any of them will get out of their faces about other relationships that are being pressed upon them. This looks like something that's going to have like that one or three really funny parts that will show up on like YouTube shorts mm-hmm. or on the Facebook reels and be like, maybe I should give this a chance. Just no. when you think that find yourself a newspaper. They do still exist. Find one, roll it up, smack yourself in the nose, and then just don't. Inside Out 2. Have you guys watched the trailer for Inside Out 2? I have. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm I'm concerned. I have concerns. <laughs> I have worries. Maybe some frets. A few anxieties. Because they're introducing anxiety now as an emotion. But anxiety is a subset of fear, which means, prediction, either we're going to find out that all these emotions that are in the first one are all now mommies and daddies and having their own little baby emotions, and won't that just be fun? Mm. Or, or they're going to try and tell us something really unhealthy about how you grow out of anxieties. Yeah. And that's just not the way that shit works. No. Actu- my actual prediction is that the little the little uh, anxiety and ennui and boredom, all those other ones, they're going to turn into like great big monsters that are going to have to be kind of faced by the the standard five. And then like, Okay, so fear now just has to take care of anxiety. It's just like, okay, no. <laughs> you don't get to come out and play right now. The emotions are going to have to do some growing. Yeah. Okay. I would be okay with that. 
I'm okay if that's where the ending yes. kind of shows up because, you know, anxiety can get huge. And uh-huh. that's kind of what I'm imagining is like that they let this thing like just take over and it just gets bigger and bigger. Makes me Be- think of turning red. Because Joy is going to do... That was a good one. Yeah. Joy is going to do something like trying to encourage it to yeah. be its thing. It's after okay. Her. Be yourself. It, it, except being yourself in that case is really harmful. Mm-hmm. You know, so hopefully, hopefully... Hopefully. I mean, Pixar does usually a really good job with the emotional content of its movies. Mm-hmm. And Disney does a really good job of trying to make it work. So cautiously optimistic fingers crossed but mildly worried uh I, that's all the trailers i watch. I, I probably watch more but they were on tv and i've been muting my tv during commercial time because it's that season where we don't watch cart commercials Mm-mm. um so i don't have any of those but there are a few reviews that i see i have on my list darren yo you've got a couple of them all right, let's start with TV and then go to the movies. Uh, Loki Season 2 has finished. Spoiler-free review, best MCU show, other than Hawkeye. Because <laughs> Hawkeye is really freaking good. Hawkeye, Hawkeye was, was really good. good. Hawkeye is really freaking good. Uh, season 2 is at times frustrating because the whole concept of time travel means that the audience will inevitably find themselves asking, why don't you just do blank? And fix it. And they actually uh, have this nice reveal during the last episode as to why that won't work. Um, Also, if they... Because I've heard rumors that Marvel is backing away from Kang being the big bad for this phase. Because of... That'd be a really scary thing to do at this juncture. Mm -hmm. But if you watch season two of Loki, I can see how they could pull it off. Hmm. based on what happens during the finale. I could okay. see how they could feasibly pull it off. So I'm not going to say it's a masterpiece. I know some people gave like, you know, the last episode 10 out of 10. I'm not there. But I would say that Loki season two, if you liked the first season, if you're still involved with the MCU, if somehow Secret Invasion didn't ruin everything for you, watch it. Season two of Loki is very, very good. And the best part is you don't really need to know much other than who Kane the Conqueror is, which you would have gotten with season one. Yep. So you're good. If all you've watched is just Loki season one, you're good for season two. Nice. Not as much homework. Excellent. Cool. So if we're doing TV, then you watched a TV show. I did. So, going down my little rabbit hole of trying to find shows for Pilot Party, right? I came across a show called The Goes Wrong Show. I love this show. So, for those of you who don't know, um, it is the setup is a theater group puts on a weekly play, play of the week, in front of a live audience, and there is a live audience there in mm-hmm. the show. You you see you watch the plays as like an audience member. And it is also televised across the nation. It's a British show. Mm-hmm. And as the title of the show implies, things go wrong, as tend to do in a live production. To the extreme degree, you know. Oh, yes. 
every episode is a different play. It's only 30 some minutes. Yeah. You know, it's a short little thing. They're so, you know, you don't need to watch the first one to get what the second one is doing. Same different place, but things go wrong and you watch it for when things go wrong. My favorite one that had me absolutely cackling out loud was when they did a play called 90 Degrees. <laughs> the name of the pl- the name is in reference to the heat in Georgia because that's where the play is set. I remember this. However, the production crew, the the stagehands took that as how to build the sets. So you have the main set and then the secondary set is tilted 90 degrees from the main set. The third set is 90 degrees uh-huh. from that. And so you have people sitting at a table that is 90 degrees straight up and down, trying to hold themselves in. The camera has been turned, so you are watching it as if it was, you know... Correct. Yeah, correct. (laughs) But they are actually sitting at an up-and-down table that is 90 degrees from the ground. Things are falling. Things are happening. It is... And in some of the cases, you can just see the actors... They're either really good or they're really worried. Yes. <laughs> I th- my my favorite gag was when they got the size of the set wrong. So there's a, there's a courthouse one where it was, they thought it was written in centimeters instead of inches. Oh. And so the whole thing is two and a half times smaller. <laughs> Bring in the jury. <laughs> Twelve people. They get three. Oh. Oh, it's oh, I love it. Oh, it it is a great show. The I don't know if they did multiple seasons. They did a season two. It's not on Tubi yeah, yet. The first season is on Tubi, um, along with there's a Christmas Christmas play, special, a Christmas special that's separate. So if you if you have Tubi, which you should, because they got some fun stuff on it's there. It's free. It's free. Look up the goes wrong show because it goes wrong delightfully you can't go wrong with it yeah that's right all right well then i also watched a show i watched big mouth season seven so we're still pushing boundaries with big mouth season seven uh we pretty well reached the point now though where we're pushing boundaries just for the purpose of trying to be lenny bruce for other shows Mm. like some of the things that they're doing at this stage i get the sense that somebody's got an idea that they're doing a good thing, but they're not like they, they're start. Some of the things they're doing are solely for the purpose of saying, okay, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be really outrageous and awful and, and crazy, but this way somebody else will be able to push an envelope a little bit less and get on because we've done something stupid and bad. So you, you can't watch any of these, uh, seasons with your kid like don't just don't yeah but by season seven i don't know if we should be watching anymore that's still clever writing but uh, they stepped away from a lot of what made it charming and gross and now it's just gross and gross Let's move on. How about movies? Did you watch any movies? I did. I saw a movie. What did you see? I saw The Marvels. The Marvels? Wasn't that a no, book? No, The Marvels with uh, Captain Marvel and... No, The Marvels was a music group. 
Oh, right, right, right. No, this is the movie that apparently is the worst thing the MCU has ever done, except it's not by a long shot. Uh, so the Marvels came out. It stars Brie Larson as Captain Marvel again. It's basically a sequel to Captain Marvel and a sequel to the series Ms. Marvel, which highly recommend on Disney Plus if you haven't seen it. Ms. Marvel is great. Uh, and it stars uh, Im, you know, Brie Larson, Iman Vellani, who plays Ms. Marvel, and she is, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, she is the star of this movie. Uh, she is the audience analog. She is the the source of the funniest things, you know. And, um, you know, basically you've got Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, and uh, they never give her an official name in the movie, but Pulsar is the character's name, Monica Rambeau, uh, who... This is one of those where you might need a little bit of homework, but mostly it's just Ms. Marvel, which is a delightful show anyway, so you should see it. And if you're watching a Marvel movie at this point in time, you know about Endgame, you know about the blip and all that stuff. That's pretty much the the basic homework you need. Monica showed up during WandaVision. You don't need to know much. It's explained. Well, she, she was in <clears throat> the first uh, Captain Marvel. She was Yes, she was um, a child. Yeah, what was her nickname? I don't remember. Sergeant Trouble or Yeah, Sergeant, Trouble. Yeah. Trouble. Yeah. yeah. But um the the thing that gets me with uh the Marvels, and I'm going to explain, but I feel like it's getting railroaded uh in reviews because audience reviews are much different than the critical reviews, and all of the critical reviews are basically saying, Oh, this is terrible. This is the worst Marvel movie we've ever seen, which that's impossible because Eternals still exists. And uh, I think this is probably the best movie of this phase. Hmm. You know, uh, it was funny. It was uh, the, it was beautifully shot. The effects are good. It has probably the best fight scene of any Marvel movie except for like the elevator scene in Winter Soldier. Oof. Damn. Because this is a fight scene that takes place over three levels. To explain the concept of the movie, something has happened in space that has caused Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel and uh, Monica to basically swap places with each other anytime they're using their powers at the same time. So if Ms. Marvel is having to fight off like some common crooks, at the same time, Captain Marvel's doing space stuff. Now Ms. Marvel's in space, which is bad. <laughs> she doesn't do space. Uh, and Captain Marvel is now in Ms. Marvel's living room, which mm. is bad because Ms. Marvel's got really uptight parents. And, you know, it it, it leads to some pretty funny moments. Uh, but also the fight scene where they have they've figured it out. They figured out how to do this. And they're able to swap at will during this just sprawling fight scene that takes place on three different levels of an alien planet. It is remarkably well done and it's easy to follow, which is an achievement in and of itself because with all that moving around, you would think the audience would get lost, but no, it's easy to track what's happening and why. Uh, it also tells a story and minor spoilers here. It tells the story of, Captain Marvel having to reckon with decisions she made during the first movie where Carol destroyed the Kree Supreme Intelligence because she thought this thing's brainwashing everyone and then that'll fix things. 
what she inadvertently did was plunge their world into darkness, essentially, and ruin their infrastructure. And so now they are making this massive power grab against other planets that can't defend themselves. And it's ultimately Carol's fault. And she's got to find a way not only to stop the aggression, but also fix her mistake. Uh, so there's a lot of growth there. Brie Larson, I think, does a great job. Uh, yeah, I mean, Carol Danvers as a character is not the most emotional, you know, outwardly. And so she does portray that. It seems to come across as wooden. I don't think so. I think she's just playing the character as written. Iman Vellani as Ms. Marvel is just a ball of fucking sunshine. And I want her to interact with everyone. Uh, she said that she's she's pushing Kevin Feige to interact with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. And I need to, I need that. Kevin, I need it. Uh, she, she works great as the audience analog. She works great as, you know, just the, what would happen if someone who worshipped these characters or is super involved in these characters ends up in their lives. Uh, there's a scene early on where she gets to meet Carol and she's losing her fangirl mind. And it's just, it's funny. It's super funny. It's a very funny movie, but it's not Taika Waititi Thor funny in that it takes away from what the movie is trying to actually do. It takes away from the storytelling. And another thing is, luckily, this is also a movie that could be primarily a standalone. You don't need to know about Kane the Conqueror. You don't need to know about what happened in Eternals. All you need to know is, did you see Captain Marvel? Have you heard of Endgame? <laughs> and have you seen at least a little bit of Ms. Marvel? Then you're good. Um, but yeah, I think of this phase, it's my favorite film that's come out this phase. And I think that it definitely deserves to be watched. I think what you mentioned earlier about a, I'm going to see this at home. I think that's what a lot of people are doing in this case, mm -hmm. is they're going to wait until it hits Disney+. Plus. And then I think we'll definitely see a bit of a change in the conversation, but I think the Marvels is well worth seeing. And if you haven't seen it, I do recommend you see it as much as I like the theater experience. I'm just too busy. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I never listened to critic reviews anyway, because they, they have, they have an agenda. Yeah. And most times it doesn't agree with me. I'll listen to more odd fan reviews than anything. Yeah. But well, the audience reviews for the Marvels are very good. That yeah. So it, it it frustrates me when I see headlines about like massive flop and all that. Like one, they couldn't promote it because of the writers strike yeah. and the actors strike. So they couldn't do any promotion for it. And two, uh yeah, of course it's not going to do well if the critics immediately come out and say this is garbage, don't see it, even though it's of the movies I've seen this year, it's my favorite. So it's a movie whose central characters are three strong, independent women. Yeah. Let's not lose sight of that. Uh, also, and I'm not going to spoil this because I, I demand that you, <laughs> and they're not all white. Yeah. So of course it's, there is, there are two things that I want to address. There's a massive, uh, twist there. There is a scene where there is a space station in danger. And the solution for that is one of the funniest goddamn things I've seen on film. Uh, but I can't spoil it because I you you gotta see it. Uh, otherwise, it'll lose it'll lose its impact. And you've heard of it, the post credit scene, the mid credit scene. What you've heard is exactly what happens, including Kelsey Grammer. Uh, so 
it it made me really excited uh, for the future of the MCU. So mm-hmm. yeah, see the Marvels. Okay, all right. Did you see any movies? I did not. All right. I watched Gone in sixty seconds again. Again, okay, you know, yeah. Nick Cage. How was it? Will always be a little loony, <laughs> and that doesn't make this movie bad. Um, the bad script makes this movie yeah. bad. <laughs> the last gasp of '90s weirdness makes it bad. See it, but go in with your eyes open. This is—it's an exciting movie, but it's not a good movie. It's a Nick Cage movie. So if that's what we got, oh, then ooh. yes, Derek. Uh, one more thing. And now it is time for Darren's Trivial Trivia. Okay, so this is, it's just kind of funny because um, I have a list of trivia and this just kind of happened, happened to line up with this month. It's not uh, because I reviewed the Marvels. But during the filming of Captain Marvel, uh, you might remember Goose the Cat. Yes. Or Flirkin, if you will. Brie Larson needed a stunt double to interact with Goose for every scene that they were in together. She's very allergic. They should have got a flurkin. They should have got a flurkin. Maybe yeah. she's allergic to flurkins, but that's all I got. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, Kent. Oh, the lights are down low. Mm, the popcorn is hot. Mm, the drinks are cold. Ah, settle in for the cinematic universe of. Chad's Random Movie Review. By the roll of the dice, the next movie I get to review is a French one. Hmm? The Extraordinary Adventures of Adèle Blanc-Sec. I have no idea. All right, guys, the 80s were weird. Yeah. Yes. All right. I mean, so... We wa- we have this movie that I watched, Life Force. It is based on a book called The Space Vampires. It's featuring music by none other than Henry Mancini, the guy who wrote the Pink Panther yeah. theme. Um, directed by the guy who wrote the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and directed Poltergeist. It includes Sir Patrick Stewart in a key supporting role. And yet this movie is so uneven (laughs) and relies so heavily on keeping the audience from knowing anything that's going on that the only thing it really has to offer is Matilda May's naked body on repeat. Okay, but, I mean, there's that. Film opens with some truly excellent music. Henry Mancini knows what he was doing. This was toward the end of his career. Alongside the 80st 80s credits that ever 80s, we get the crew of the joint British and American space shuttle known as the Churchill under the command of American Colonel Tom Carlson. How do we know he's American? Oh, they will tell us. Murder. And along the way, they find a 150-mile-long spaceship that is hidden in orbit around Halley's Comet. The whole point of this mission is to go and study Haley's Comet. So since they're there to investigate, they do a spacewalk and they go into the alien craft. Okay, so you remember in Spaceballs when the Winnebago goes into Spaceball Mm -hmm. 1 through the ear? Yes. 
and it looks kind of like just a bunch of tunnels, but otherwise an ear canal. Mm -hmm. Here, the spaceship that they go into is this really long tube, but as they're going through, it definitely looks like they're going through a colon. There's lots of intestinal imagery going on in at this phase of the movie. Now, uh, that reminds me, I need to schedule my next colonoscopy. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> now, once inside, the crew discovers hundreds, hundreds of desiccated bat-like creatures. Well, we have to collect one of these. Deploy the specimen bag, a.k.a. net. <laughs> Further in... They find three naked humanoid bodies, two male and one female, in suspended animation within these containers. Funnily enough, the female is the only one of whom we can see fully. Yeah. Carlson, the captain, becomes mildly enraptured by the beauty of the naked woman and decides that he's willing to perv all over the place and we need to bring these three back to the Churchill. Now, sometime between this happening and our next scene all radio contact with the shuttle is lost. Because our next scene, where the Churchill is showing back up on radar on to Earth. Mm -hmm. No one can talk to anyone, so they send up a rescue mission. They The crew gets inside. The entire interior of the Churchill is burned up. The crew's dead. The escape pod's missing. But those three containers containing the naked bodies is still there. And you can bet which naked body we get to see. Well, it'd be a shame for the only specimens that we have of a clearly doomed ship to stay out in space. Sure. Yeah. We should take these back to Earth. Absolutely. You know, we weren't expecting aliens to look like humans. Oh, oh well, time for a dissection. Bodies are taken to London, but before any cutting can be done, everyone has to leave the room for a bit so the plot can continue. Now, seriously, there are seven people in this room. They're all wearing like the great big masks and the respirators and their scrubs up and their gloves, whatever you want to call it. They're getting ready to do this autopsy dissection thing. And then they just leave. I can only assume it was Miller time. <laughs> <laughs> because why did you go through all the rigmarole of scrubbing up only to unscrub? And so there's just this one lone guard. He's wearing the big respirator thing, and he comes into the room, and because he's decided that he wants to perv all over the place and stare at the naked body, guess which one's getting dissected first? He wants to gawk at naked dead girl. She wakes up. There's a whole bunch of lightning that I assume is space vampire shit, and by the time anyone else gets in there, this guy is looking like a victim of Arnold Vosloo from The Mummy. Meanwhile, the Churchill escape pod is found. Turns out, Captain Carlson's inside. Perv Prime has survived. <laughs> but we thought there were no survivors. No, he definitely survived. He's an American. How do we know? They'll tell us. Carlson recounts the events aboard the Churchill, including feeling compelled to open the Space Lady's container. And share his life force with her. Not a euphemism. This in turn leads to a Demeter kind of situation, leading to the draining of the Churchill crew's life force. 
Eventually, Carlson sets fire to the shuttle, saves the Earth from the same fate, escapes in the pod. Except he doesn't because the ship still ended up in Earth orbit because he didn't just set it to blow up or, I don't know, fly into the sun or literally anywhere else that a single tiny blue-green dot is going to intersect in all of space. I thought they had to be smart to be an astronaut. I was told you had to study. Now. You have, ah. to, you have to be smart now. Well, because it's that kind of movie, they hypnotize Carlson and learn more about what's going on. Turns out he's got a psychic link to Space Lady. And he reveals that she has an ability to shapeshift. Not really, though. She's not shapeshifting. What she's doing is she is, like, transferring her consciousness to a different body while her original body still gets to be stored somewhere. So, like, she's... She she goes somewhere, she lays down, she takes a little space lady snooze, yeah. and then just sends her consciousness to another body to wander around. As one does. Yeah. That was in multi- Multiverse of Madness, I think. Now, eventually, Carlson and this investigating officer, SAS Colonel Colin Kane, they trace her to a psychiatric hospital where they believe they have her trapped. This is where Sir Patrick Stewart comes in. He plays Dr. Armstrong, who is unknowingly the host of Space Lady. And so they give him a whole bunch of drugs and get him all laid down where we now have you know, Captain Tom Carlson, Perv Prime, who gets really close because Space Lady's in there and he's got a thing for Space Lady even if she's in Sir Patrick Stewart's body. Fair enough. Fair enough. As my spouse put it, if you were going to inhabit a body, wouldn't Sir Patrick Stewart be on the short list? I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Now, I will give a little bit of kudos to what's going on here, because when Carlson and Space Lady kiss... It is Sir Patrick Stewart that he's kissing. However, Sir Patrick Stewart is wearing a suit and they to show that it's definitely Space Lady and not, you know, Sir Patrick Stewart. Dr. Armstrong, she's not wearing any clothes. She should have been wearing a suit. <laughs> you know, it's a simple thing. Yeah. But no, that's not the kind of movie this is. This is about, you know, space lady vampires. There's also like the two guys. We've forgotten about them mm-hmm. be- because they got blown up by a grenade earlier. Oh, like okay. they're walking around all naked with cleverly, you know, placed things all over the right all over. So we don't see any male genitalia. That's a step too far. Yeah, yeah. seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> but they uh, turns out they survived. Because, of course, they did. They transferred their consciousness into the soldiers who supposedly killed them, yada, yada. Now, they're infecting London's population. So, surprisingly, this is going to turn the movie into a zombie movie. Yeah, didn't realize I was getting that, too. So, here's how this works. All right? I am going to suck the life force out of Darren. And then I'm going to leave. Because he's now a dried-up husk, and I don't give a shit. In about two hours, dead, dried-up Darren is going to wake up, and if Justin is somewhere near him, he's going to suck up 
Justin's life force until he's a dried up husk and Darren is back to looking like his jolly self. Repeat. Here's the thing, though. Darren's got to eat every two hours now. If he doesn't, he turns back into dried out husk and dies all the way. If there's no one around for Justin to eat in two hours when his dried husk, you know, wakes up, he dies. There's some creature and puppet effects here. Don't watch before bed. Just just don't. It's not worth it. Not worth your time. <laughs> not worth your sanity. Point of order. Um, <laughs> if Justin and I just stay within like a, a radius of each other, can we just continue to suck each other's life Unfortunately force? not, because damn by it. the time that two hours passes, you're drying up while he's waking up. Okay, damn. Never mind. Yeah. Yep, I'm sorry. It's trying to game the system there. You can't. You can't do it. So they got Sir Patrick Stewart. They've got him drugged up because they don't want this vampire lady to escape. Because she can't escape if there's too many drugs in his system because it acts like a wall keeping her there. So they try to chopper Sir Patrick Stewart somewhere to get the space lady out of him. It doesn't work because there's a really gross sequence now involving a whole bunch of blood. Like an unreasonable amount of blood. Like this this is the this is the you know the scene in the shining where the elevator opens. It's that kind of unreasonable You know the scene in the first The Nightmare on Elm Street? When Johnny Depp gets sucked into the bed yes. and then it erupts, it's that. <laughs> it's an unreasonable amount of blood to come out of one Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, and one other guy whose name I don't remember because he's not that important to the plot of anything. But all of that blood will coalesce in glorious 80s CGI into a practical effect of a puppet made of what looks like blood and viscera that looks like Space Lady who says, like, find me, Carlson, and then <laughs> down onto the ground. And another wonderful practical effect of blood and viscera on the chopper floor. The best acting in that whole scene is the helicopter pilot, who should be paying attention to what he's doing, looking back and going, <laughs> So while this is all going on, <laughs> it just keeps going it just keeps going the male vampires they're turning other people into vampire well zombies because now you know all these people that have been infected and are running around mm -hmm. trying to soak up more they're all like torn up they look like zombies out of like 28 days later kind yeah. of thing right rage zombies <sighs> and the the 150 mile long spaceship is now in orbit above earth where there's a whole bunch of energy being sh you know shoved up to it because nothing like a whole bunch of human souls going right up the old space rectum. One of the scientists from early, you know, when they were going to do that first dissection scene, yeah, just from early, early. just <laughs> from, from earlier, <laughs> figures out how to kill one of the male vampires by using an ancient weapon of quote leaded iron. It's a sword. He kills him with a bad sword, a sword that has no business existing. But it works because plot. Now, everyone's now on the same page. Vampires have visited Earth periodically with the coming of Halley's Comet, 
creating all of our vampire legends. And so scientist dude gives the weapon to the SAS dude who then travels through infected London trying to chase after American Carlson. How do we know he's an American? Here's how we know. Because our hero does not know how to drive a stick shift without grinding it. And he's driving through a zombie slash vampire infected London in an armored vehicle with the window down. <laughs> the level, the level of don't give a shit that's required for this could only come from an American. That seems right. Yeah. <laughs> this is a guy. This is a guy who is so focused on getting to space lady that eventually he tears the arm off of one of these zombie vampire things, looks at it and throws it in the back seat and then doesn't roll up the window. <laughs> just like, huh? <laughs> and keeps on driving. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> he finds Space Lady. She's at a church, of course, St. Paul's Cathedral. She's laying down on an altar because why not? Why not? She's transferring energy to the space rectum. And she reveals that when she first got up, she and Carlson gave each other energy and now they're part of each other, doing to the sharing of their life forces. While that's going on, no, just kidding. Uh, the, the, the SAS dude kills the other male vampire and then goes to the church and throws the sword to Carlson, who stabs the space lady through the back and then himself, because they're both naked at this point, although he is standing artfully so that we don't see any of his genitalia. No. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. No. You'll get to see Mal Matilda's. Okay. Right. Uh... As the burst of energy blows open the doors and blows off the dome of St. Paul's, the two, somehow still alive, ascend the column of energy to the spaceship, which returns to the comet as the SAS dude watches credits. This movie's so all over the place that it is somehow both intensely interesting and supremely boring. I went from scene to scene watching this thing, and everyone is super urgent in their tone and bearing. There is a scene where they're trying to track down Space Lady, and they think that she's inside one of the nurses. So they go, they introduce themselves to the nurse, they go in, can I sit down, they want to talk. And he comes up, The Carlson comes up to this woman, and because he's attached to Space Lady, like he's got mild telepathic powers, you know, he touched people, you know. Anyway... He says, this woman, you don't know this looking at her, but this woman's an extreme masochist and she wants me to get the information out of her. And what follows is what could only happen in the 80s, I would hope, and let it stay there. And we're just going to leave that late. Leave it be. Okay. It's, mm. Mm, All I, right. I don't like violence most of the time. I don't like that. So, uh, nothing really seems to matter. It's one of those movies where the ending seems like it was written first, and then they had to figure out how they're going to get there. And that's fine if you're making a video game. It's not so fine in a movie. Things should be revealed. You know, little bits over the course of the movie, not dumped on two-thirds of the way through. I don't want to give it a pass. I really don't. But here's the thing. It is so compelling at times. And watching Sir Patrick Stewart is, of course, a joy. 
and the plot is weird and it's crazy, there's something about it that's strangely, horribly watchable. I could see this being an R-rated special of Sven Gulli. Ooh. Or or Elvira. Like it's got just enough of that little sci-fi horror thing and fantasy horror to like be able to fit. <coughs> I'd say if it's around Halloween, go ahead and be like me once. Otherwise, watch it with friends. You will laugh with each other about it. It is funny. It's not supposed to be, but it is. <laughs> So in no other business, thank you to our sponsors, Sure to Source and Gamefly. Check out news, reviews that are not on the podcast on the website, geekcapepodcast.com. Be sure to click on the link that we still have for Extra Life for that little bit yet. Yep, so, end of December. Join the Discord for fun conversations. Tell your friends all about where to find us. We're on, I think, all of them now. Uh, don't forget to check out the other offerings, including You Want Me to Watch What, Week 3. Then head over to the YouTube channel, see Geek Cave Plays and Retromantics. For Kent Harris, our Mario with the mustache. For Darren Wright, our Luigi, who jumps the highest. For Justin White, our princess who can float when he jumps. I'm Chad Savage, our toad. Nobody picks me. Thanks for listening. And remember, everyone is a geek for something. <laughs>